0: Welcome, everybody, to episode number 13 of the Average Jake Firefighter Podcast. As usual, I'm your host, Robbie Owens, from the Average Jake Firefighter Blog. We've got a tremendous interview today with Moro Percelli talking about his new book, Surviving the Firehouse. It's a great interview. I think you're really going to like it. Moro has a ton, a ton, a ton of energy. He is just a tremendous guy to talk to. He is, as you can tell when you listen to the interview, he is just eight up with the fire service. You know, it's just, it was a pleasure to interview him, and I want everyone to go out, get his book. It's on Amazon, it's on Book Baby, it's everywhere. You can get it on eBook, it's getting ready to be an audio book, and you need to be able to get this thing, hand it to your rookie firefighter, because I think it's a valuable conversation that needs to be had. So, without further delay, let's get into the interview with Maura Pacelli. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Average Jake Firefighter Podcast. Got a great guest today on, and I'm so glad this guy contacted me. I know he's been on some other podcasts and he's trying to push his, his new book out, and I'm just glad that he uh, wanted to take the time out to come on my podcast and talk to the listeners of the Average Jake Firefighter Podcast. So I, I'm humbled and, and honored to introduce Moro Percelli, uh, author of the new book, Surviving the Firehouse. Uh, Moro, thanks for joining us today on the Average Jake Firefighter Podcast.
1: Robbie, thank you so much, buddy, for for allowing me on your show and, and talking to me. I really appreciate the opportunity that, that you're giving me here today with your audience. Yeah, it it, it is all on uh,
0: this side of the table, the appreciation, because I, like I said, uh, I think this is a book that, you know, I hadn't heard about it yet until you approached me. And so, you know, you sent me the copy of it and I read it. And I really like the, the approach that you're taking and, the, and just the, the no-nonsense approach to how to survive that firehouse, and not really just survive the firehouse, but survive your career. So, before we get into the book, though, give us a background of what you know—your fire service career, how you got involved in the fire service, what made you want to write this this book, and just you know, just tell us about who you are.
1: Right. Well, I started my career in 1988 with a, a small fire department at the time with Marion County Fire Department. It's, uh, it's actually grown to a big fire department now. And uh, it was a new fire department back then, and I came up through the ranks really, really quick. I mean, really quick. I held um, a district commander position where I was in charge of a shift and the whole, the whole county. And I was very young. I, I got hired with the fire department right out of high school. And I worked there for a few years, and I just got an incredible amount of experience, some really good leadership experience, and ran some really good calls. But I fell on my face countless times. I mean, I made some horrific— Mistakes while I was there because I was young, I was still learning the job and uh, and it was a tough learning curve, but I finally applied for my dream department, which was the city of orlando fire department, and I spent uh, quite a few years there and uh, worked on an engine company, then went over to a truck and retired out of a out of a tower truck and i just uh, I just had a great career, just uh, met a lot of great people along the ways you know the career obviously wasn't perfect, a lot of ups and downs. But, uh, you know, fortunately for me, I had more ups and downs, but I just learned a lot from mistakes that I made and from mistakes that a lot of people made. But one of the things that always bothered me for most of my career, and it's not new, but for most of my career, is these people that were getting hired, they were really struggling. Not all of them, but a lot of people were really struggling struggling their their rookie year, their probationary year, because most of these guys are right out of school, right out of high school or right out of college, and they're young, they've been living in their mom and dad's basement forever. Now, all of a sudden, you're putting them into an environment with a bunch of uh, type A personalities at the firehouse, and we expect them to perform at 110% level for that entire 24-hour shift. And we expect certain things from them. Well, that's nice and all. It sounds good on paper, but reality is they don't know what to do. And the problem with the fire department in general is we have a problem with mentoring some of these kids that come up. You know, we we teach them. We tell them what their job is. You know, we do a pretty good job with that. But there's a lot more to it than that. These guys fall on their face, and instead of us just kicking them and and beating them up, we have to take them under our wing and say, hey, this is how you do it. This is what you did wrong. Because there are numerous times over the years – I would float out or somebody would float in, and one of the firefighters would say, hey, Porcelli, watch out for this guy. You know, he's lazy, you can't trust him, or he's got a bad reputation. I said, wow, okay. Well, as the shift is going along, I'm meeting this guy, getting to know him. He's not bad at all. He's just misunderstood. Nobody has helped him, and every time he made a mistake, they were beating him up. And so once I sat down with these individuals and tried to guide them and teach them how to do things the right way, man, they ended up being fantastic employees. And I just kind of took that upon myself to try to help out whoever wanted to help. But you have to want to help. That, that's the problem. You have to want to help, and, and I'm there for you if, if you want it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, so what it sounds like is like you really, really embraced that senior firefighter role that senior man role and and which is so critical and especially I know you know from your previous experience in your smaller fire department where you were a company officer to now where you were you know that the firefighter rank in that in the Orlando fire department so what tell me you know what was I guess what was the inspiration for you to just embrace that senior man role like did you have any mentors uh you know that that led you to want to when you move to orlando stay in that senior firefighter role instead of progressing back up through the ranks through the officership because i feel like in today's fire department there's a lot of people that unless they have that gold bar gold badge they don't feel that they're accomplishing anything and uh, it's funny it's funny that we're talking about this because i just had this conversation yesterday we have a lot of guys that they tie their self worth to that rank right. instead of instead of their instead of what their their product is their 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 work on the fireground or their work in the firehouse. So so give us a little bit of a why you wanted to stay in that senior firefighter role and why you just embrace that so much.
1: Well, I I love being a firefighter. I I, I really did, and uh, I just I when I was coming up as a firefighter, I had a couple of mentors that helped me out and helped guide me through my career and my mistakes. And then as I moved on to Orlando, um, I had a couple of people that, that helped me out as well. But what I noticed, it was severely lacking with with a lot of firefighters where we were not really helping these new people. And, and that was that was just a, a really big problem. I was happy at my rank. I, I was really happy. And I've told all these guys and girls that, that come in the fire department. I even wrote about it in the book. I said, the biggest mistake you're going to make in your career is if you move up too quick. And that's why I laid out what I think, and it's very subjective, but what I think is a, an appropriate timeline for people to promote up through the ranks. You have to promote up when you're, when you're ready. Nobody's going to respect a chief who's only been on for 10 years. I'm sorry. It just doesn't happen. Now, you could be a good company officer after 10 years. There's nothing wrong with that at all. You could be a good en- engineer at six, seven years. That's fine. But to go up much higher than, than a lieutenant at, with just 10, 11 years on – You you could have all the book knowledge in the world, but you're not going to have the people experience. And that's what I try to tell people. Everybody in our job, they know how to put out a fire. They know how to take a blood pressure. They know how to do all the beautiful things that we do as firefighter EMT paramedics. But 80% of our job is personnel management. That is where the disasters happen. That is where the station problems happen. That is where all sorts of problems happen, is at the people level. And in order to really get good at that, you have to be at a lower level for many years and understand all these all these grenades that are being thrown at you and being thrown at other people to know, you know, hey, when I become a company officer or a chief, this is what I don't want to do. I'm gonna take care of this differently. And you only get that from experience. So I was very happy as, as a firefighter. Believe me, I had a I had a great career. You know, I just uh, – I really didn't want to be an engineer. Uh, chances are I would have probably been stuck on a rescue for a few years, and I just – you know, that would have been fine. But I was just really happy where, where where I was at. I felt like I could help more people where I was at.
0: That's outstanding because, like I said before the question was posed, there are so many people today that they want to – and you're exactly right. They want to race – to that next rank like they're they're taking the promotional test at three, four years on. And right. these are people with no experience at all. You know, and, and again, I don't think experience is 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 everything. You know, you'd have to have some education piece in that training to it. But man, you, you're exactly right. The people part of experience is super important. And, I, and, and it's the landmines we step in constantly. I, I know one of the <laughs> chiefs that I work with uh, on a daily basis, he says he goes to a fire every day. It just always is in a house. Uh, right. he's constantly right. putting out little fires, um, <laughs> you know, so, but but that's, that's totally true. So, uh, so let's get into the book a little bit. Um, like I said, I really, you know, once you sent me the copy of it, I really got into it and, and well, it is you. not, yeah, it, absolutely. It is not a, like you said, like we were talking about before we started to hit the record button, it is not necessarily your, you know, academic level. Book. This is a no-nonsense guide for a firefighter to survive. You call it surviving the firehouse, but really what I look at it as is surviving your fire service career because you talk about everything from firehouse culture to how to plan your retirement. Right. So, So get into a little bit mm-hmm. of – You know, what made you come up with this concept and what made you, you know, go through all of these things and how you picked out what you what you
1: picked out? When I first started, I started this book many years ago and I started taking notes at the fire department when I was there. And I started taking notes. And after a while, I had pages and pages of do's and don'ts. And so I said, you know what, let me write a book. I sat down, started writing. I said, you know, what, this is a stupid idea. And I shelved it for years. And I picked it up again. I started. I'm like, you know what? This is stupid. I can't sit in front of this computer and type out a bunch of words that people aren't even going to read. So I shelved it. So what happened was my son, uh, both my sons are firefighters. Uh, one son, Andrew, he's a firefighter for Marion County Fire Department. My other son, Nick, he's a firefighter for the city of Orlando Fire Department. And these guys are just out of high school. So what happened was. When Nick got hired with Orlando, there it was, it was a huge moment in our, in our family. I mean, we were just so proud and happy for him. But I was real nervous. I was nervous because they were going to tear him up. They were going to eat him alive because he was just out of high school. He's just a little young kid living at home. And so what I did, I sat down with him, and I said, Nick, here are the do's and the don'ts. Here are my notes. And I had a conversation with him. And it was nothing formal that I had in writing. It was just notes. And so... He started with Orlando, and I just started getting phone calls from people that I haven't spoke to in years. And these guys and girls are like, hey, Porcelli, good job with your son. I don't know what you did or said to him, but good job with him. Let me tell you something. These guys don't say good job for anything. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. So yeah, When yeah. they're
1: saying good job, I'm like, wow. So that was like the proof of concept that that, that I needed. And so I said, you know what? I have to do this. If I could help some kids out, some people out, I need to do it. So I started writing it, but I was only going to write it for rookie firefighters. So as I'm writing the book, I'm like, you know what? There's so many landmines. You're you're only a rookie for a year, maybe two years. But there's so many landmines after that that these guys tend to self-destruct and implode on. So what I did, I wrote the book from a timeline where you're thinking about going to fire school All the way to thinking about retirement, but with a very heavy emphasis on that probationary year, being a rookie. So I covered everything. The book could have been a thousand pages long. But I had to I had to cut it off at 200 pages so that way people would read it and not look at it as a as a you know a War and Peace novel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, and and it is a it is a, you know like you said it's a
0: it's a quick read, um, but it's a valuable read. And and you're right, firefighters, we do not hand out praise no. very well. If, if you get a like if you cook that meal and you, if you like you cook a meal, the best thing a lot of times you get is uh is hey this didn't suck. You yeah, know? forget so, it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, th- that is that is tremendous stuff. Um, and so, uh, like, I want to get it. Like, and I don't want to give away everything because I want people to go out and buy the book and I want people to read it for themselves. But let's delve into a couple of the chapters. chapter. What I really liked first and foremost, and this is something that is always like like 100. You you nailed it in the very first chapter, and I'll read a little bit from it. If anything is true in the fire department, every fireman has an opinion. Theirs is right, <laughs> yours is wrong their expertise ranges from political to marital advice to picking up a hot date at a bar. That is, I mean, you, you nailed it. And anybody who has ever sat at a firehouse kitchen table for more than five seconds will know that that's a hundred percent true. You've got the divorced guy telling you how to deal with your wife and you've got the guy who is like filed six mortgages on his truck, to, right. you know, so I really just like how you, how you captured it. Was there any, like, without telling too many names or too many or getting too personal, was there anybody that, like, really, you know, stood out to you when you were writing about this firehouse culture? Oh, heck
1: yeah. Almost everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we all have our faults. We all have our goods and bads and everything in that book. And I was real careful not to name names because mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't want to do that. But. Everybody can relate to this perform where they where they can be like, wow, that kind of sounds like this guy, that girl. This represents me a little bit, or him or her, and and so yeah, there is that just comes from years of experience of working with people. Like I said, a lot of those mistakes in that book I made myself, and i right. be the first one to tell you I was not the perfect the perfect uh, firefighter. Well, it's funny is that I was just at a huge fire department function in Orlando and we do a fire department camp out every year at Disney. And it's the best time in the world. We've been doing it for 16 years. And these guys came up to me and they said, Porcelli, let me tell you what's incredible. You were like the worst rookie ever that wrote a book <laughs> on how to be the best rookie ever that became number one on Amazon. And it's in its category genius i'm like yes thank you that is what the fire department is made of just coming up with some ideas like that and hopefully it's the best because we all have brilliant ideas that don't pan out to anything but this one this one worked out pretty good
0: (laughs) yeah absolutely well i mean and and to be you know isn't experience just
1: another name for the mistakes we
0: make oh absolutely (laughs) Uh, you know so i mean when you talk about that even if you were I, i i highly doubt you were the worst rookie but even if you were, you would be the perfect person to write about a book of how to survive. It's like, do the exact opposite of
1: what I did. Right. Um,
0: you know, yeah. <laughs> that's just funny that there's, uh, that, that that's kind of how it was born to be. Um, so in one of the chapters, too. You talk about the pros and cons of small versus big fire departments, and you speak from experience from both. Uh, I I kind of come from the same same background. The first fire department that I, uh, you know, when I was reading the the small fire department part, the fire department that I worked for first was a very small. We had about thirty people in the fire department. You were we were on two person shifts, like you talked about. I felt like I was listening, you know, talking about myself. (laughs) when I was reading that part of the book, like we staff an ambulance, but if a fire comes out, we grab the engine. Right. And, you know, I mean, I was at a station with an ambulance, two engines, a rescue and a ladder. And we just like, it was Russian roulette. Every time, you know, uh, you would get a call like, oh, they need the tower ladder on this one. Okay. Hop off the ambulance, jump on here. Right. Right. So I really, so I really, you know, and then I went to a bigger department. I, you know, where I work is the second largest in as far as personnel goes in the state of Virginia. So I went from, that very small department to that very big department. Uh, Expand on that a little bit for those that haven't read it. Talk about your experiences in that small department versus the experiences in the big department and kind of get into those pros and cons a little bit.
1: When when I started at Marion County, it was only, I think, 50, 60 people there at the time. And we had a lot of volunteers, but it was mainly 50, 60 career firefighters. And today it's like 500. I mean, it's just, it's an incredibly good department today and it's huge. And so, We What we did, when I got hired, the guy that hired me was my woodshop teacher in high school, believe it or not. I walked in there, and I was in a suit and tie. I just wanted to look good because I really wanted this job because it was going to pay me $6.50 an hour hour, because I was only making $3.50 an hour at Sears and Roebuck at the time because that's where all firemen worked. And so (laughs) I went in there with a suit and tie. He hired me. He goes – just go out to your station tomorrow. You'll be out at and you'll be out at Silver Spring Shore Station. I'm like, okay, what do I do? Just go out there and you'll figure it out. So it was just me and another guy, and so we had a we had a brush truck, we had a tanker, an engine, and a rescue. And depending on what that call was, you jumped on it. A lot of times we're running back from a from an EMS call to grab a tanker because somebody else had a brush fire or had a house fire that we had to bring them a tanker, and. You did everything. You did the extrications. You did everything. We only had two people on an extrication, and you're going. You're, you're working an extrication this minute. You get back to the station now. You have a house fire, and it's just you and somebody else. And your backup is 20 minutes away, and it was just it was horrible. But the experience you gained was incredible because you drove, you pumped it, you fought fire, you cleaned it up. You went on an EMS call, did an extrication, and you repeated it shift after shift. And you just you just can't pay for that kind of experience. I mean, it was just just an incredible time. But I was able to take that knowledge with me to Orlando. And like I said, based on some of the mistakes I made, I was able to learn from it. But the smaller departments, it's, 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 it's good if that's what you want. And one of the things I've always told people – in bigger departments and smaller departments is that if you could work in a bigger department, but you 're no more of a firefighter than that guy that works at a smaller department, and I 'm so firm about that because I've worked at both, because a lot of times when I was at the small fire department, I felt like some of the guys at the big cities kind of looked down at the guys at the smaller departments. Let me tell you something, now that I 've done both, that's not true at all. That is, I have so much respect for these guys at the small departments because they have to do a lot more with a lot less. And, uh, it, it's incredible and it's kudos to them.
0: Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. You, you totally, you, you totally nailed it again. It, it is, you know, again, I, I don't, everybody and, and everybody deserves a fire department, whether you live out in the country or whether you live in the, you know New York city, everybody deserves a good competent fire department. So, you know, it, and someone's got to go work out there, you know, so it, you're exactly right. It's all about what you're looking for, what you want in your career. Um, so another con- a controversial thing you talk about in the book is uh, should I be a paramedic? That's the name of the chapter. And that is right. one of the huge things, that like huge controversies in the fire service, EMS, firefighters. You know, uh, we just had a guy leave our department to go to a smaller department and make less money because he did not want to ride an ambulance anymore. Right. He was like, I'm done. I want to go work in this other place because they don't have ambulances. So talk about. You know, again, for for people who haven't read the book, for people that are trying to pick it up, talk about your thoughts on should they be a paramedic? How, how much should they embrace EMS? Because uh, I have my own
1: opinions on it, but I want to hear yours. Well, here, here's here's the deal. And I'm a firefighter, I'm, I'm now, but I was a firefighter paramedic also. I'm a firefighter first and foremost, but 80% of our calls at the fire department and most all fire departments around the country are EMS calls. It is what it is. You know, starting an IV on somebody, taking the blood pressure is not as heroic as throwing a ladder, vesing, and pulling somebody out of a second, third story window and bringing them down the ladder. I get that. Believe me, I get that. But I also have to come to the realization that eighty percent of our calls are EMS calls. So a lot of guys don't want to go to paramedic school because they know they're probably going to be stuck on a rescue unit, or on an ambulance for who knows how long and the problem with that they're doing 80 percent of the work they're usually up all night and it's a high burnout rate that's the problem with being assigned to a rescue truck so a lot of these guys and girls say well i'm not going to go to paramedic school now here's the issue with that if you want your dream department you have to go to paramedic school that will significantly increase your chances of getting on because i know here in the state of florida Pretty much every single fire department is now ALS, Advanced Life Support. They're ALS. The engines, the tower trucks, the rescues, they're all ALS. They all have paramedics on them. And if you want that job where in Orlando you're competing with a thousand other people, and if you're just an EMT firefighter, you're significantly going to reduce your chances. So you have to go to paramedic school to land that dream job. Yeah, I know it stinks. We don't want to do it. It's another year of schooling. It's a pain in the butt. But you know what? You have to do it. So let's just say, for example, you don't go to paramedic school. You were, you work for that department or you're that person I got lucky and you got hired as an EMT firefighter. Well, now a lot of fire departments are requiring you to be a paramedic in order to promote to certain positions, in order to get certain raises, et cetera, et cetera. So what I just try to tell everybody now, especially early in your career, just knock it out, get it done. Just get it done and and you'll be fine yeah you may have to work on that rescue for two three years but you know what i promise you it's going to pay off in the long run you're going to make more money it's going to be pensionable you're going to get more overtime opportunities but you'll be okay in the long run
0: i completely agree i i you know again like you said i'm a fireman first uh i didn't you know i got my emt just so i could get hired right uh but I got lucky and got hired by the, my dream department, the one I work for now without right. being a, without being a medic. And I got, I'll be quite honest with you. I just got tired. You're a hundred percent, right? 80 to maybe 80% to maybe more of the calls were going on are the EMS call. And I just got tired of being only highly trained for 10% of my job. <laughs> yeah, know, I, I really did. Like I would, <laughs> I was going on these EMS calls and I'm like, you need a blood pressure taken. You know, I couldn't give meds. I couldn't give, you know, I couldn't innovate someone who needed it. I right. You know, but so I just got tired of of being standing in the background. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to go to medic school. I, I'm, I'm right. going to medic school. So that way, I'm highly trained for 100 percent of my job. Right. And I think that's a an important thing to bring up too. Yeah, I totally agree because we we are hiring ALS out like gangbusters. Mm-hmm. Like we need it so bad in my in my department. Like if you're a medic, you are going to the top of the list. Uh, right. But but also, I think too, it's such—it's what we do now, you know. Right. It is what we do now. So, if, if and if you want to be the well-rounded firefighter that can help literally every call you go on, it's yeah. just something you need to do. You're
1: actually saving a life almost every shift, if not yeah. multiple times a shift, as a paramedic. I mean, it's just what you do. But we like to think that the firefighters, you know, on the heavy rescues and the truck companies everywhere else, are they're heroes because they're doing all this life-saving fire stuff but in reality the paramedic the paramedics are the ones saving a lot of lives every shift multiple times a shift and you know we don't like to admit it but it is what it is yeah
0: you're 100 percent right and, and and i don't think in, and, and again the whole the whole theme of your book is no nonsense and I, and you're not you're not blowing any sunshine up anybody's rear no. it, it, it can suck on your 20th call of the day Oh, you know, miserable. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, yeah you're not happy about it, but you are you are interacting with more people on that ambulance or you guys call the ambulance a rescue. We're, we call them rescues. Correct. Yeah. OK, so like wh- whether you're on the whether, whatever you call it, you're on that that EMS vehicle. You're impacting more people on a yeah. daily basis than you. I mean, if we just all waited for fires, it, it, if, if fire departments were only fire
1: departments these days, uh, we, half of us wouldn't even have a job. <laughs> and, and I try to remind people of that, too. These fire chiefs, they have to justify – they're under a lot of pressure, a tremendous amount of pressure to justify their budgets. And the only way to justify it by hiring more people, they can't do it with the fires. They have to do it with the EMS calls because a lot of these fire departments' EMS calls are increasing 5 to 10% per year. And that's how they justify, well, I need a couple more rescues, and that means I have to hire X amount, amount of more people. Can't do it with the fires.
0: Yeah, you're 100% right. Um, so one of the things else I wanted to talk to you about, and it's funny, I was having this conversation just yesterday at work, uh, and this this other station captain, uh, I'm a station captain in my in my fire department. This other station captain was was talking about his shifts. His lieutenants were having like shift wars with each other, and he and he kind of sat them all down and told them, "Hey man, even if you don't, even if you hate that other shift, you should write them a thank you note at the end of every shift because they're the reason you get to go home in the morning." <laughs> You because know, know. if they didn't, because if they didn't come, because my fire department in the very beginning of only had two shifts. Right. So you were working every other day. Oh, and wow. now we have three shifts. We have a, our system allows us to have like a five day break. He's like, and those other shifts are the reason you get that five day break. Right. So, you know, if they didn't come to work, you know, so even as much as you hate them, uh, you know, so talk about, and I know you address it a little bit in the book, but talk about, you know, like. Some, some station issues with other shifts, you know, maybe being at a place you don't like or you know, just talk about how you got through that stuff and, and how you dealt with it. All
1: right. Here, here's the deal with shift wars. Shift wars have always existed, existed since the day the fire department was born and will be there until the day the fire department shuts down permanently where robots <laughs> take over. All right. They're not going away. A shift war is a shift war. I was on B shift, and we used to get pissed off at A shift because the kitchen was dirty, the trucks were dirty, this was dirty. They didn't take out the trash, etc. So me being on B shift, I thought we did everything perfect. But C shift would hate us because they felt we did the same thing to them. And this would go (laughs) back and forth, and now the lieutenants would get into it. So after a while, and it took me many years to figure it out, I said, you know what? This is the fire department. This is part of the fire department. It is never going away. They used to break in our refrigerator. We used to break into their refrigerator. I mean, just all sorts of crazy stuff would happen. But it's not, it's not going away. So what what would happen, you know, when you're when you're working as a firefighter, and, and I and I tell people this all the time, one of the biggest mistakes that we make is we want everybody to like us. We want everybody to like us. We want everybody to respect us. The fact of the matter is there's always going to be that one person out there that just doesn't like you, and you could do everything right. My advice to people is do what you think is right for the department, for your station, your crew, and yourself. And if you do that, then nobody else can get on you about anything, about you being a sellout, being a lazy butt, or whatever. Just do what is right. Because the only thing I cared about when I retired and during my career is I just wanted people to say Porcelli was a good firefighter and he was a good guy. That was it, because there's nothing else that I could control myself. But there were, you know, two or three people out there. I don't know, maybe more. I just know two or three that couldn't stand me for whatever reason. And I had no idea why. I never did anything to them. But it is what it is. But that's going to happen in the fire department. The problem becomes is when you're working at a station where the entire crew doesn't like you. And then that's when you got to look at yourself saying, okay, you're doing something wrong here that you need to straighten out. And that, 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 that could be a big issue.
0: So when you were going through some of that stuff, uh, was there ever a time where maybe you thought that you, you were struggling a little bit with your motivation or your love for the job and, 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 and how did you, and if you did, how did you get through that? I mean, how did you, how did you, you you know, what kind of advice would you give to these, not even maybe young firefighters, maybe a 15, 16 year guy, 10 year guy that is, that is really loves the job, but is starting to struggle with, you know, I had a guy who I really respect the other day come to me and like, you know, I still love this old girl, but she don't look as good as she used to. Right. So, you know, like, how do you, how do you get through that? What advice do you give somebody? Because I know I struggle with that. I struggle with, with telling people like, because, you know, like I don't, I don't know what to tell you to make you like this job anymore. Right. You know, so what, what, what would you? What kind of advice would you give there?
1: The only thing you're in control with, or control of, is your environment. You cannot control what city management does. You can't control what the fire chief does or administration does. Most fire chiefs are really good people. Most of the administration, they're really, really good people. But sometimes there's rules and regs that come down the pipe that we just don't agree with. It's gonna happen and the worst thing we could do is fight it and buck it and and fight it even more because you're going to lose. You have no control over that whatsoever. My advice to people is control your firehouse, and especially you guys as officers. You ultimately have control of your station. You can't control what goes on in the other shifts or above you, but if you're on a shift and you're a lieutenant captain at that station and you have five guys, ten guys under you, whatever you have, it is your responsibility to make sure that that people stay motivated and that you control your firehouse. And this is how you do it. The worst thing you could have at any fire station is that cancerous poison individual that taints everybody. This is a guy that comes to work that kicks his dog, hates his wife, hates this, hates that, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And he taints the entire crew. So as a station officer, you got to nix that pretty quick. You you got to stop it really quick. And if you're going to train your crew, get the training done early in the morning. The worst thing you could do is, all right, we're going training in the morning. We're going to go train in the afternoon. We're going to go train at night. Oh, yeah, now let's go check out some hydrants and do this or that. You know, set a schedule. Say, guys, let's get everything we got to get done before noontime. Just knock it out. Hydrants, inspections, training, whatever. Just knock it out. After that, it's your time. We just run calls. We do what we we have to do. But – You control that as a company officer at the station. It's tougher for a firefighter to control it because the firefighter is the one that's usually not in charge. But as a company officer, you have total control over that. And you've got to nick that guy in the butt quick, especially if that firefighter is putting down other firefighters to make himself look good. There's nothing worse than that because it is so contagious. It's horrible. It'll destroy your whole crew.
0: Yeah, yeah, you're 100% right. It's funny you talk about doing the training stuff. I'm a big, like anybody who's ever listened to this, to this podcast or read anything I've written, I'm a big you know proponent of making sure that you train a day, at one hour a day, work out one hour a day and read right. something for an hour a day. But right. I like, but I'm a human too. I like to get that stuff done right before lunch or just right after lunch. Like I'm right. not, I'm not trying to be up till 11 o'clock at night either unless we're on a fire. Right. You know, that's the thing. That's the thing. But and I tell every crew I have worked with, here's the stuff we have to do today. If you all yeah. want to come in here and get after it, then we can be done by one o'clock. Right. But if you all want to lounge around and if it's seven o'clock and we haven't trained for our hour today, we got to do it. So mm-hmm. we're going to be up training. A couple of seven o'clock trainings will get them a little more motivated on the front half
1: of the day. Oh, yeah. No, <laughs> that's true. Knock, knock it out early. Just get everything you have yeah. to do early. You know, don't. If you could avoid trading training on the weekends, that's even better. Why? Yeah. You know, sometimes the guys like to watch some college ball, some NFL, some NHL hockey, whatever. You know, that's the time to do it. Yeah. If you can knock everything out on the weekdays, that's fine. Like you said, just get it done before lunchtime, and you'll be fine.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And 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 I always believe in paying it back too, because we had, we're a very young department right now. We're huge. We're hiring people, and so sometimes we can't take a break on Saturday because this rookie this rookie has got to get his, 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 you know, he's got a packet that he's got to get finished. And so we've got to do a little bit on maybe a Saturday or even a Sunday, but I try to pay it back. You know what I mean? Like, All right. So, Hey, Wednesday, Wednesday's like you, Wednesday's the day on our shift cycles before our five day break. So sometimes like, Hey guys, we had to hit it hard on Saturday or Sunday. Today's your day, do whatever you want, you know, (laughs) like just clean the house, you know, just clean the house. And well, because you, you gotta, like I said, you know, it's a people business. Like you said, it's, it's, you know you want to you want to get them to to do what you need them to do then then you gotta you gotta give a little bit too because and and we've all made that mistake i I think everybody's been too regimented or too loose
1: and really the balance is in the middle but that's fair if you have to go out on a weekend because this this guy has to get his packet done you know everybody everybody understands that but i i've seen crews go out on you know right before the super bowl is getting ready to start hey let's go throw some ladders like what what are you yeah wait a minute
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you should have burned some annual leaves. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> totally. Do- um, so, right before, you know, I wanted to talk about a couple more of the, uh, the stuff that you wrote about in the book. Talk about, and the chapter is called Four Kinds of Firehouse Associates, and you put them into coworker, uh, friend, true friend, uh, and sellout. Right. Uh, you know, t- talk, about, talk about that and talk about, you because know, I use the term like we have firemen. And right. then we have firehouse. We have fire service employees. Right. Um. And you know. And I'm not very many friends with guys that are just fire service employees. Right. So talk sure. about your uh, your take on that, and talk about you know your your how you broke down that coworker. You know, true friend, friend, and and
1: and the sellout guy. Right. Well, that that coworker. It, it takes you years, years and years in the fire department to realize what category does this individual fall in. And one of the mistakes I made early in my career is that I trusted everybody, everybody, because I thought everybody was just lovable, likable, and that you can tell them anything, but man, was I wrong so as the years went on, you realize it's really broken up into four categories you've got you have a coworker and that's just a good person you know mine's his or hers own business they don't bother anybody, they do a good job they're great to have casual conversation with around the the dinner table or just shooting a bowl behind the station, you know, they're fine. You wouldn't want to go on vacations with them or, you know, send them Christmas cards, but they're good people. You know, you have the friend at the firehouse, which is the second category. And this is the person that, that you could trust a little bit more, you know, you'll go to fire department functions with them and hang out with them, but you don't tell them your deepest secrets. You don't want to do that, but they're overall good people that you could talk to and vent to. You know, then you have that true friend, which is incredibly rare. And at the end of your career, you're only going to have four or five of these true friends. These are the people you can tell anything to because, you know, they're not going to run to anybody, to the chief, to the captain, lieutenant, and tell them what you just told them. They're going to keep it to themselves. They're true friends. They are there for you 24-7. They will help you bury the body. They know where the bodies are buried. This is the guy or girl that – that you just treasure and have to keep close to you your entire career because they will be with you for the rest of your life, not just your career. And that's why those people are special. Then you have that fourth category, that sellout, dirtbag individual. And when we were editing the book, the editor had to edit out numerous words that I had in there <laughs> about this person. We went back and forth on it, and I said, no, we're keeping that in there. And she's like, no, we can't put, keep that in there. So we had to tone it down. But that sellout person, this is the person that comes to you as your friend, wants to be your buddy, everything is great, you're getting, an, you're, you're, you're getting attached to this person, you're like, man, he's a good guy. And what do they do? They throw you under the bus for a promotion, for a riding assignment, or they throw you under the bus to just make themselves look good at your expense in front of other people. And let me tell you something. That's happened to me a handful of times in the fire department, but I've seen it happen to so many other people. And these are the people you have to shoot down quick. You have to shoot them down quick because they are the worst of the worst that the fire department has to offer. I have no respect for these people. You can't come to me wanting my friendship. Want my love, want my advice, and then and then want me to tell you my deepest secrets, and you go and tell the world, or you throw me under the bus for your personal selfish gains. You can't do that, and that's why I came up with those four categories. Because everybody in the fire department will fall into those four categories. And you, Robbie, you could probably sit there right now thinking, oh, yeah, I know a couple people like that.
0: <laughs> oh, I've I'm, I'm to- totally, totally been uh, thinking about, like, while, I, while I, in fact, while I was reading that chapter, that's why I wanted to talk about it is because I feel like you're you, – you, again, you nailed it perfectly uh, with, with that because I can sit there and think about – and when I read that stuff too, I think about certain things. Like when I read that True Friend piece, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Gross Point Blank. It's got John Cusack in it. Uh-huh. Uh, and it was where he plays like a contract killer and there's the scene where he kills a guy that's coming to kill him and jeremy piven his character runs up the stairs and sees john cusack has killed this guy and they're like best friends and he doesn't even question it he helps him put the body in the uh in the, the furnace Yeah, you know, he's like and that to me is like that's that true friend that you're talking about like right. he's like you just killed this guy yeah i know we got to get rid of him okay right. and he just goes along with it and then i and when i think about that sellout guy I think about a quote that Steve Irwin, the crocodile hunter, said. Uh-huh. He always said that crocodiles were easy because they are—you know—they're trying to kill you. People are harder because sometimes they present themselves as friends, right. right, and that, like, when I read that sellout part, that like, bang, that like, popped right in my right. in my head. Right? Uh, I was like, yeah, but, people are always going to come and do that.
1: But he's the first person to talk about brotherhood and camaraderie, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. But he's the biggest hypocrite out there, and I hate that. I, I just. It just boils me, and that's why I had to put it in there. And I had to be – I mean, I had names I had in there, and the others like, no, you can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. I, was, I was typing away, man. Yeah, you're like,
0: Firefighter Jones, this is you. You're something like that. I oh, like, yeah. no, you
1: can't put that in there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh
0: man, that's, that's awesome. So we've been going about 40 minutes uh, here and I like to try to keep these around an hour because you know, people commuting to work and, and, you know, it's, or, or working out on the treadmill, something like that, trying to get their hour day. As we start to wind down, what, like, if you could take your entire book, your entire 25 years in the fire service over multiple de- departments, you know, and everything, and you could break it down into just
1: a couple pieces of advice for people listening, what, what would those be? I want people to learn their job, do the best they can, have a good attitude. Just have a good attitude and treat people like you want to be treated. That, that, if you can do that, everything else will come together. I can give you advice all day long on how to micromanage your career. But if you just do the best you can, be a good person, and treat people how you want to be treated – everything will come together. It it does. I've seen it so many, so many times. And just try to think ahead in your future. Try to think about retirement, finances, you know, save for your retirement, your first day on a job, you know, just, just be respectful. It just, I mean, I could just go on and on and on, but if you could just be a good person, I'm telling you, everything will fall into place because now people are going to, going to want to help you to try to get you through some of these dark times that you're going to have in your fire department career. Let me tell you something. The fire department is not going to go perfect. The average firefighter does 25 years in the fire department. It is not going to go perfect. You're going to be reprimanded. Anybody that can get through the entire career without being reprimanded, man, good for you. Holy cow. I, I wish I could could have done that. But But... You're going to go through your career stepping on landmines and have grenades thrown at you. But if you could just speak whole cool about it, ma- maintain your senses about the whole organization and just stay positive, stay positive with the chiefs, with the administration, with your crew, everything falls into place because you're a lot less stressful and you don't have this, this smoke and mirrors in front of you. Everything just becomes clear. Just stand back and, li- and just watch and listen to other people and just learn from it.
0: And powerful words, powerful words. And I think that's something we're all striving to really do, it, 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 no matter the rank or, or whatever. Um, so tell us where we can find the book. Tell us where we can, uh, you know, how it's available, what what different formats. Tell us where you're at on social media. Do you got Facebook? Tell okay. us how we can
1: get a hold of it. All right. This book right now, it's available on Amazon, uh, Book Baby, and Books A Million It's available 60 outlets being distributed to 70 countries around the world. Amazon is completely sold out right now. They have a huge backlog that they're trying to get filled. So if somebody wants a book right now, the best thing for them to do, just email me at survivingthefirehouse at gmail.com. I still have a case of books, and I could ship it out to them the next day. That's probably the easiest way for them to get a book right now. If a month, two months, six months down the road, people are listening to this podcast, you know, you can go to bookbaby.com or you can go to amazon.com. But in the meantime, just go ahead and email me and I can get you a book out immediately. And, oh, it's so, available in paperback. I'm sorry, it's available in paperback, hardcover, um, soon to be um, audio book. And uh, it's also e-reader.
0: Who's, uh, are you doing, are you going to do the audio book?
1: No, I was, I was going to do that, but everything I've read said, don't do it. It said, okay. don't do it. So there's a company called ACX, which is a uh, sister company of Amazon, and you audition all these professional readers. And I got like 30 people to audition in just three days, and it just became so overwhelming. You put in the type of voice you're looking for, uh, male, female, everything. And uh, so I got in 30 auditions. And I just, I'm like, man, everything's sounding the same. So I took the seven best that I liked and I farmed it out to some people. And I said, hey, pick, pick the ones you like. Well, guess what? Split down the middle. Oh, no. Yeah, so now <laughs> I got to make a decision here in the next couple of days.
0: <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I think with your, with your level of energy and everything, you might be the best person to do it, but that's just my opinion. No, I... uh, you know, like you said at the beginning of the book, everyone's got an opinion. <laughs> um, um. So, what about any any social media? Any Twitter, Instagram,
1: LinkedIn? Wh- where else are you at? Well, I'm just start. This is all new to me. Like I guess this is all new. This all just ex- all I wanted to do was just just uh, publish a book, throw it out there, and that's it. But this thing has just exploded now. So now I'm trying to play catch up. So I have a uh, Facebook page, uh, Surviving the Firehouse. But I don't. I don't have a Twitter account yet. I was told I need to get a Twitter account. I have to get all these other accounts. So now I got to catch up with uh, with technology. The only thing I've ever had was a Facebook, and I was real reluctant to do that. But mm-hmm. but like I said, uh, I need to start getting with the times.
0: <laughs> uh, are you going to be uh, so with the book coming out and everything, and and it's and it going so fast? Have you? or or are you already doing this are you already doing are you looking into maybe taking this show on the road like doing some speaking and if so tell us where you're going to be so people can come see you in person well
1: i would love to the book just came out last week and uh and i've been on a couple podcasts already and uh i would love to to be invited to uh to anybody's firehouse or um you know FDIC or or anything that's going on around the country. And if somebody would like for me to just stand up and talk for 15, 20, 30 minutes, whatever, talk to a group of people about, you know, the do's and don'ts in the firehouse and how to survive it. I would love to do that. I mean, I would, I would really love to do that. So, uh, you know, hopefully this, this, you know, opens up some doors for me in, in the future. and, like I said, I'm just trying to keep it simple. Just trying to stay grounded with the whole thing. But uh, I'm not going to sugarcoat anything, Robbie. I'm just—you're going to ask me a question. I'm going to tell you like it is. I don't have to be politically correct anymore. I'm going to say exactly what 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 I think needs needs to be said. And uh, you know, hopefully, people people listen to it.
0: <laughs> well, well, I know just from just from talking to you
1: today and reading the book, I hope that. I hope that you do go
0: that route because I feel like this is something. And again, there's no knock on the firefighters that we're getting today. I think we're getting some tremendous people and we're getting some people with some some great backgrounds and things other than the fire service. But they need this no nonsense talk before they walk through the door of that firehouse because yeah. it's it, it's not all about them. You know, in fact, right. it's, it has nothing to do with with them. It has everything to do. With service and carrying on you know, the great parts of the fire service, so I think I, I hope that you that you do start branching out to some conferences and some public speaking because I really think that a lot of firefighters like this this should be the speech at the end of people's recruit schools. Like, okay, you graduated. Now let me tell you what it's going to be like day one in the fire. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so as we start to as we as we start to finish up here, anything else you want to say to the listeners?
1: Listen, Brian, I just I just want to thank you personally enough for for you know invite me on your show, and I, mean, I really really enjoyed this. This has been a, just a great opportunity for me. Like I said, I'm new to all this, and uh, I just enjoy talking to to another firefighter like yourself. And you know, I could tell you're you know you're really ate up with the fire department too, like the rest of us are. And it's just nice to talk to somebody like you. But thanks a lot for provided me the platform to talk to you listeners i really do appreciate that uh outstanding and just uh, give your email address one more time just
0: in case and someone might have missed it so that way they can they can get in touch with you surviving
1: the firehouse
0: at gmail.com all right, so surviving the firehouse at gmail.com. Moro, great pleasure talking to you. I really enjoyed the book. Uh, outstanding interview. This is probably one of the best ones I've ever had. I say that every time <laughs> I interview somebody, but it just, they keep getting better. And I really just, I, and it's same sentiments to you. I just love talking to, to guys that love the fire service as much as I do. And, and you can just tell in your energy and, you, and how you write that this is something that it's been your life work and you're trying to continue to pay it forward. And so that's just awesome to see.
1: Right. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate it.
0: (laughs) All right. And uh, so thanks again, Moro. And uh, we'll be right back right after this with some closing stuff. Again, like I said, uh, great, great interview with Moro. It was just a pleasure to talk to him. I feel you can just tell his passion for the fire service through his, his, through the interview, through everything he talked about, through the advice that he gave. It is just a tremendous pleasure To talk to somebody who cares so much about the fire service, again, go find his book, Amazon, Book Baby, uh, get the e-book if you want to, if that's how you prefer to read your books, or just email him. Uh, he gave you his email address at the end of the at the end of the interview a couple times that way you can email him you can get a hard copy you can get a paperback you can get whatever but uh, you know great great interview with Morrow and I can't thank him enough for coming on the podcast I hope that his voice continues to get out there because I really feel that it's a message that while we're getting good people in the fire service they need to hear some of this stuff because the firehouse is not a cubicle it's not a regular workspace it's different and it takes a different set of skills to to navigate it and be successful. Uh, with that being said, I can't do what I do without the support of some great, great companies. The first being Vanguard Wear. Vanguard Safetywear is the makers of the MK1 Fire Glove. Those things are awesome. They're made for work. I wear them every day when I'm on duty at the firehouse and every use they just keep getting better. So make sure you go to VanguardSafetywear.com and get you a pair of the MK1 Fire Gloves because they are made for work. The second company that has just provided a tremendous amount of support to me is Taylor'sTins.com, and that's Taylor's Tins. They are makers of metal helmet fronts for your helmet, and they have some fantastic designs. And this is not just some point-and-click shoot menu that you drop down and you get this thing. No, you email Taylor and tell him what you want. And he is going to send you custom artwork that he does himself and then cut your tin to what you want him to do. It is great stuff. These things are durable. They're made to last. So go to www.tailorstins.com. That's tailorstins.com. Stop burning up leathers and start wearing Taylor's Tins. Lastly, the Fire Ground Commander Conference. I am so humbled to be a part of the Fireground Commander Conference in Henrico County, Virginia in March of 2019. We are going to have some tremendous, tremendous speakers. It is the brainchild of my good friend Ben Martin from Embracetheresistance.com. And we are bringing... Uh, we did it last year and we brought in some tremendous speakers and now we're coming back and we're doing it again with an even better lineup of speakers. We're going to have John Dixon talking about normalization of deviance. Christopher Nam talking about building construction. Nick Martin talking about aggressive command. Jeff Shoup talking about engine company operations. Mike Gagliano talking about motivation and, fi- and how to make your firehouse the best firehouse that it can be. It is not to be missed. It is one of the best But most affordable fire conferences in the whole country. So go to embracetheresistance.com, sign up today, and join us in March 2019 at the Henrico Theater for the Fire Ground Commander Conference. Fire Ground Commander is on Facebook. uh, Go to embracetheresistance.com, go to Twitter and find the Fire Ground Commander. Uh, if you follow me on Average Jake you know that I've been tweeting about it and tweeting about it and tweeting about it. I believe there's still some early bird registration spots out there so don't delay. Go today to embracetheresistance.com and sign up for the Fire Ground Commander Conference. It is not going to be missed. Also as part of the conference we're going to be doing some giveaways so if you like going to other fire service conferences there's going to be giveaways from other fire service conferences. I believe last year Kurt Isaacson gave us a free registration to is Command Officer Boot Camp. I believe more of those are coming back, so if you are interested in coming to one of the best fire conferences and then having a gateway to go to the other great fire service conferences out there in the country, come to the Fire Ground Commander Conference. You will not be disappointed. We're going to have social hours after on Monday uh, at probably at Strangeways Brewing again. It's just going to be great time to, to meet some of the best fire service speakers in the country. Meet Ben Martin from embracetheresistance.com. If you want to meet me, uh, I'm I'm okay with that, but I'm not even a, 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 a blip on the radar compared to some of these guys that are out there. So just come to the Fire Ground Commander Conference, sign up today. Let's fill up that Henrico Theater. And lastly, I just want to say, like I say every time I do this podcast, make sure you're spending one hour a day, doing some sort of physical fitness. Make sure you're doing one hour a day working and reading about something about our trade in that library and one hour a day doing some sort of hands-on training. If you do that, you'll become a pretty phenomenal firefighter. I guarantee it. Thanks for listening and stay safe.